You know, this morning we're starting a new sermon series on what Adolf Harnick called the greatest, strongest, deepest thing Paul ever wrote. It's a pretty bold statement, but he's referring to 1 Corinthians 13. And so as we begin this series, you can try to find that now in your scripture. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew you can use there. And as you're turning there, I want to give you some context for the chapter In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been discussing the idea of spiritual gifts and the fact that there are a variety of gifts. And he's been telling the community of believers that we need to each exercise our gifts, the gifts that God has given us in order for the church to function properly and that each gift is important. No matter what the gift is, it's very important for the good of the church and for God's mission And as he prepares to move into chapter 13, he begins to address a problem within the Corinthian church. And if you know much about the Corinthian church, you know there were several problems. And this is just one of them. And this church was beginning to measure their spiritual growth by the types of spiritual gifts they possessed and exercised. They began to measure their spiritual growth by the gifts... That they possessed and exercised. That's how they gauged their spiritual growth. So I want you to think for a moment. How would you measure spiritual growth? Every culture, every generation uh, tends to have its own markers of what they believe uh, indicates spiritual growth. So, for example, for you it may be uh, knowledge of the scripture or your prayer life. Or how many times you've shared the gospel this week. Or maybe it's your obedience, how obedient you are to the Lord. Or maybe it's um, how you feel during a worship service. Or maybe it's something, uh, how much you give up for the cause of Christ. Or how much you give to Christian causes. If I were to ask you, what is the one indicator, the single most important indicator in your own life, that shows that you're growing in your faith, what would it be? Or what should it be? And so as Paul closes chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, this is what he says beginning in verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, Third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? In other words, the answer is no. You don't all have all these gifts. We have a variety of gifts. And just before this, Paul was saying, you know, you you can compare the body of Christ, the church, to the human body. You have a hand and a foot and a kneecap and an elbow and an eyeball. and It all needs to work together. It's not all the same. There's a variety of gifts, but it all works together. And the body needs it all to work together. And so he's saying, not everyone has all these gifts, and yet all these gifts are beneficial to the church. And he says, now earnestly desire the higher gifts, those that will build up the church, and I will show you a still more excellent way, or the most excellent way. 
And so Paul says, yes, spiritual gifts are wonderful things. There's a variety of them. We need them. But there's something even more important in the life of the church and the mission of God than the spiritual gifts. This most excellent way. And so as Paul launches into what he calls the most excellent way, he's preparing to show us the single most important indicator of spiritual growth in the life of every Christian. Every single one of us. And the way he's going to show us this, this most excellent way, is to show us how we tend to use and abuse spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts that we possess. In other words, he's going to take what the Corinthians church, what the Corinthian church, to, that what they believe to be indicators of spiritual growth, and expose their error of thinking and correct it as well. And he begins by addressing their speech. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. I just want to focus on the very first part of that verse to begin with. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And so Paul is, is zeroing in on their speech. And the Corinthian church, they seem to value eloquence of speech as well as this ability to speak languages and even unknown languages. And they saw this ability as a sign or an indicator of spiritual growth. And, you know, even today you have churches that would say, you know, unless you speak in tongues, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what these churches have done, and the same thing that happened in the Corinthian church, is they have elevated and emphasized this gift to such an extent that they make it normative for every Christian. In other words, they say, you are really growing if you have that gift. And that's what the Corinthian church was doing. And so it's the indicator of spiritual growth. And yet Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, before we go any further, I need to kind of put a little parenthesis here and define a key word here that's going to help us understand Not only the passage we're looking at today, the first three verses, but the rest of the chapter that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And so we're going to need to pause and consider this word love in order to understand what he says next in verse 1 and in following the following verses. You know, in 1967, the Beatles recorded their well-known hit, All We Need Is Love. But the question is, what is love? If that's all we need, what is it? And I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves here as we come to this passage when it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Okay, well, what is it? What is love? And I think in order to define love, we must look to God. And this is why I think that. Uh, In the scripture, in 1 John 4, 8, this is what it says. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And so what this verse tells us is that in order to define love, we must look to who God is and what He has done because God is love. That's what love is measured by, the person and work of God. He's the one who sets the definition because God is love. Not love is God, but God is love. Therefore, God sets the definition. And so we need to look to Him. And so on the one hand... We see from the Bible that God is 
perfectly lovely and that he is he is pure he is good he is holy he is the origin of all things beautiful and true and therefore on the one hand that which is perfectly lovely deserves to attract and obtain our affections that which is perfectly lovely ought to attract and obtain our affections Meaning that we ought to love God because of who He is. And if you think about it this way, if you've ever loved anything at all in your whole life, if you've ever loved anything uh, beautiful, anything good, anything pure, anything with strength or wisdom, if anything that you've set your affection on, if you've loved anything, wouldn't it make sense that your affection should be drawn to something that's even a greater good or purer or more beautiful than those things that you set your love on now. That would make sense. And so, God is lovely and therefore our affections should be attracted in, to Him and He should obtain our love. So on the one hand, we should love that which is lovely. But on the other hand, what we see in God is that our love is, is to expand to go beyond just what is lovely, but even to that which is unlovely toward us. And this is what's unique about the love of God. Listen to another verse from 1 John found in verse 19 in chapter 4. It says, We love because He first loved us. So we love because He first Loved us. Paul said it this way in Romans 5 8. Let's see if you can pick up a pattern here in this definition of what love is. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So God demonstrates or shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners or yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so although we were unlovely, God loved us and did what was necessary to save us from our sin. And so what we learn is that God is not only lovely, but He demonstrates what love is through the giving of His Son. And so now we have a definition of love. Love is giving yourself to another for their good. That's what love is. Giving of yourself to another for their good. And this is what God has done for us. Look at John 3.16. A well known verse. But, but follow the logic. For God so loved the world. So he loved the world. Well what did he do? Well then he gave his son. Why? So that if we believe in him. We will not perish. But we will have everlasting life. In other words. He loves us and then He demonstrates it by doing something for our good. And so what is the definition of love based on the action of God? It's giving of yourself to another for their good. Giving of yourself to another for their good. Now with that definition in mind, let's close the parentheses. We've got the definition. All we need is love. Okay, now we know what love is. It's giving yourself to another for their good. Now we can kind of get back to 1 Corinthians 13.1. And so, follow that passage 
And I'm going to read it with a little accompaniment. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a noisy guy or a clanging symbol. Isn't that lovely? I mean, don't you love that? This, this, grandparents, this is a present for your grandchildren. Just give them a pair of these and say, have fun, enjoy. Okay? These are very loud, but this is what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, of course we could add this to the service every Sunday. Maybe during the prelude, you know, where prayer of confession, just have somebody marching from the back, banging these around. You know, how annoying would that be? We'd all come here, even if we, of course, we probably wouldn't come here anymore, but if we did, we'd come here with earplugs on, and uh, <laughs> we, we wouldn't want to tolerate it too much. And this is Paul's point. He's saying, you can have the most eloquent speech. You can even speak in heavenly language, the, the tongues of angels. But if you don't love the people you're speaking to, that's what you sound like. It's nothing. There's no benefit there. And so the sign of spiritual growth is not your eloquence. It's not your ability to speak multiple languages or even an unknown language. The sign of spiritual growth is that you're growing in love toward those you're speaking to. And if you do not have love, if you do not love those you are speaking to, then your voice is no different than the clanging of the cymbals. And so think about it. How are you using your speech? How are we using our language? You know, are we speaking for the good of those around us? Or are we just banging the cymbals of our lips together, just making a bunch of noise? And Paul says... It doesn't matter how eloquent you are or how you can put the words together. If you don't have love, then your, your noise, your, your voice is a clanging symbol. And this was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were overemphasizing speech to the detriment of love. And the second gift that the church was overly emphasizing was the gift of knowledge and prophecy. Look at verse 2. He says, but if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. And the prophetic powers Paul is referring to here is the ability to explain and proclaim the truths of God. And he uses two words to describe uh, this type of knowledge. One, he uses the word knowledge and the other word he uses is mystery. And the word knowledge there refers to uh, the information you can gather using your mind and your reason. Okay? And then this word mystery refers to that which you cannot know apart from God revealing it to you. And so what you have is someone, if they have this gift of prophecy and knowledge and, mis- and knowing the mysteries of God, you have someone who has this combination of divine and earthly wisdom and who has the ability to speak it, to proclaim it. And for some of us, we may be like the Corinthians and we may think things like this. Well, you know, those people that go to seminary, those people are really growing spiritually. I mean, they must be. They're going to seminary. Or, you know, those people that memorize scripture, 
Those are the spiritually growing people. I mean, they really must be growing if they're memorizing Scripture. Or those Sunday school teachers, because they're able to study it and understand it and speak it and teach it, they must be the ones who are really growing. And while I hope all that is true, I mean, I hope those who are going to seminary are growing. Sunday school teachers, I hope you're growing. And those who are reading the Scripture, memorizing it, trying to apply it, teach it, I hope you're growing as well. But Paul tells us that it's not the amount of information that you can cram into your brain and understand that indicates spiritual growth, but rather it's your increasing capacity to seek the good of those around you. That is the indicator of spiritual growth. The ability to love, seek the good of those around you, is the indicator of Spiritual growth, it's your love. Paul continues with another example. He says, And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And the faith that Paul is referring to here is the ability to work miracles and even take great steps of faith. It's the attempting great things for God expecting great things from from God. Exercising faith. And we're all inclined, I want to give you just one example, and there, there are a myriad of examples, but let me just give you one. We're all inclined to look to the missionary who is who's willing to leave the comforts of the West and plant his life in a third world country that's hostile to Christianity and say to ourselves, He's the spiritually mature one. He's the one who's growing or she's the one who's growing. And hopefully, again, I hope he or she is the one that's growing. I hope they're growing. But let me tell you something. He is growing. I hope he's growing. But Paul says it's not the going that is the indicator of spiritual growth. It's not the going that indicates spiritual growth. It's it's the love of of those you are going to. That is the indicator of growth. It's your growing love for the people you're going to. That is the indicator of spiritual growth. The going is just a result of the love. It's not the going that's the indicator. It's the love. It's the growing, the increasing capacity to love. Even those you may have never met before. But you've heard about or you've prayed about. As that love grows, you go. But it's the love that indicates the growth. And that's why Paul can say, you can have great faith. You can say that this mountain moves and it moves, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. (laughs) Pretty powerful. Zero. Nothing. No net gain. Without love. Lastly, Paul gives two more examples that can be misunderstood for the primary indicator of spiritual growth. And they both deal with sacrifice. One is financial sacrifice and the other is physical sacrifice. First, let's look at what he has to say about our financial sacrifice. You know, you've heard of of the prosperity gospel that says, well, if you have faith, God will bless you with health and wealth. So you've heard of the prosperity gospel, this Gross misunderstanding of the promises of God in the gospel. Yet here, there's another misunderstanding, according to Paul. And we may call it the poverty gospel. 
And it's this idea that the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. So on one extreme you have, well, God wants you to be rich and healthy. And so the richer you are, the healthier you are, you must be really growing. You must be really spiritual. But on the flip side of that, you have this other extreme that says, well, no, the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. Paul says it this way in verse 3. If I give away all that I have, every dime, he's saying not just 5%, 10%, 20%, if I give it all away, every dime, everything I have, if I give it all away to, to the poor, to charity, to the church, to whatever, if I give, it, if I give every single dime away, Look what he says. But have not love, I gain nothing. Paul's telling us that if I give everything away, and if I don't have love, then we gain nothing from our sacrifice. It does not bring you any closer to God. And this is why over in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. In other words, words, God loves... When love is our motive. God loves when love is our motive. He loves a cheerful giver. Giving that's based in love. Not obligation. You're not twisting your arm. But out of love. That's what he loves. Now what about physical sacrifices? Now. Back in John 15, 13, Jesus said this, and you all may remember this statement. He said this, Greater love has no one than this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, If I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. So you have Jesus saying, well, one of the greatest acts of love is giving of yourself even to death. And then you have Paul saying, well, even if you give yourself over to death and you don't have love, that's nothing. And so what we see here is Paul saying that we can take the greatest demonstration of love and strip it from all meaning if we don't love. This means that just because people sacrifice themselves physically, that's not necessarily an indicator of growth. Again, that, it may, that may be true, that may be required, but that follows love. Love is the indicator of growth. Listen to Jesus' words again. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. His friends, those he loves. So what motivated him to lay down his life was his love for his friends. And God loves when love is our motive. Think of it like this. Let's say you have a daughter and for the past several weeks at school, they've been working on a secret project. Okay, they have this secret project going on. She won't tell you what it is. She's been working on it, but she's telling you there's a secret project going on. Well, finally, after a few weeks, the time comes that you are able to hear and know about what the secret project is. And so... She comes home from school and she gives you this handmade gift bag. And so you take it and you, you open up the gift bag and you find in there there's a, there's a handmade coffee mug. 
that she has made with her own hands. She has glazed it, painted it, glazed it, fired it. She's been working on it. And then inside the cup, there's a note. And you pull the note out, you unfold it, and you read it. And this is what it says. It says, Dear Dad, I've worked hard these past few weeks on making this special coffee mug. I've spent my time molding it and glazing it and firing it. And now you have a decision to make. Would you rather have me or the mug? Which would you choose? And you say to yourself, Ron, why are you making us choose that? Can't we have both? (laughs) I like the mug. I love my daughter. And you may be saying, why do I have to choose? But the reason I'm just pushing that on you is because I want you to see yourself through God's eyes. I I want you to see yourself through His eyes. I want you to see that God wants you, not what you offer, but you. God did not send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that He could get all your money. Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sins so that you could be the smartest person in the church and accumulate as much knowledge as possible and understand all the deep spiritual truths there are to know. That's not the primary reason Jesus died for you. Jesus didn't primarily die on the cross so that we can speak eloquently or even supernaturally. God sent His Son to die on the cross because He loves you. He loves you. Not what you can do for Him, but He loves loves you. And so what Paul is trying to tell us is that spiritual gifts are wonderful. Speech, language, knowledge, prophecy, faith, sacrifice are all wonderful, but they're all secondary to love. Love is the most excellent way. And I believe what Paul is telling us is is that as we realize who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, our capacity for love increases. It's this redemptive love of God that, that enables us not only to love God and to love those who are lovely, but actually to even extend our love to those who are unlovely to us. But again, this this type of love, it's a supernatural love that can only be experienced through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you this question. Is is your love reservoir drying up? I mean, are you finding it hard to love people? Are you finding it harder and harder to seek the good of those around you? If so, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to go back to the source. Go to God and ask Him to remind you of the gospel. Let Him remind you that while you were not loving God, He was loving you. Let Him remind you that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Let the Holy Spirit lodge the truth of the gospel deep into your heart so that a geyser of the love of God will spring forth and and fill up that reservoir of love so that the world may know something of the love of God in Christ in you and through you. 
See, love is the indicator of spiritual growth. Love is the truly most excellent way. In the next several weeks, we're going to look more specifically at how that works out based on 1 Corinthians 13. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your love for us. A love that we cannot comprehend. We, we cannot measure its height, its depth, its width. But Lord, we know it's there. We know it uh, has been demonstrated for us through the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's this same type of love, this giving of ourselves for the good of others that you call us to. You desire that we both love you and love those around us. Lord, help us to uh, exercise the gifts you've given us. Appreciate those gifts and the diversity of the giftedness of the church. But help us to see primarily our growth is rooted in our love for you and others. And how you are increasing our capacity to love. Even this morning as we sing and respond in worship, would you show us ways that you want us to love one another and our neighbors uh, this week? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.